Amen. People do indeed need the Lord, uh, especially me this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at specifically verses 14 through 16 today. But as we look at these verses today, I feel like they're going to teach and show and demonstrate for us this overarching theme for the next several Sundays here at First Presbyterian. These verses today will show us how it is possible that Jesus gets us, that he understands us, that he knows us better than we could possibly even imagine. That is to say, over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at very many narratives in the life of Jesus that show how in every way he understands. And so we will unpack those a little bit more as we go along. But today specifically, I want us to know how it is, by what means it is, that he gets who we are. And so our passage today is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Follow along with me. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, at the hearing of these words, it, it is my desire that you would be known, that, Lord, you would be glorified and lifted high. That Jesus, in fact, by seeing you as lowly, we might see you as king. King of our hearts, king of our lives, king of our minds, king of our circumstances and situations in every which way that you are Lord. And so, Jesus, even as we come today, even as I stand here, there are things that are burdens on my heart, things to which at moments I don't think you can understand, but as we listen today, God, let our hearts be encouraged, knowing that you know more than we could possibly understand. And so, Jesus... Make much of yourself in the preaching of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get started this morning, I want to tell you a little bit, a little story that I'm sure if anyone here has grown up in the South, you understand what it is I'm about to talk about. Uh, if there is one thing that we are accustomed to in the South, it is storms. I think we know thunderstorms unlike anyone else. I remember growing up, these big, massive thunderstorms that would come through and roll through during the summers. And oftentimes, those thunderstorms would be teeming with tornadic activity. Really fun things to experience as a child. Some of the most memorable experiences I have growing up. 
were those where I was woken up in the middle of the night by my parents and told to grab a few things and we were ushered down into the basement to wait out the storm. There was one night in particular that I remember barely even getting to sleep and going to bed before my dad came in and woke me and my sister up and moved us to the basement only this time we had to grab not just a few things, we had to grab a pillow and a blanket and even drag a mattress because we would be staying the night in the basement that time. But the things that I remember the most were the thunder when it sounded like it was directly over top of us that it was so loud or the lightning that it was so bright that it filled up the entire basement because we had a walkout basement or the wind that was blowing so fierce it sounded like a freight train was rushing through the trees. Needless to say, it took a very long time that night for any of us to fall asleep. But at some point, I must have, because I remember being woken up the next morning to the good news that the storm had passed, that the storm was no more, but... We saw the evidence of it as we walked outside and saw trees down everywhere. It's crazy to think that in that moment, in that evening, that it seemed like the storm was going to swallow us whole. As a child, all I could think about was how scared I was about what tomorrow would bring. If there would be a tomorrow. But I also remember that as we huddled at the bottom of the stairs, I remember the calming and reassuring voice of my dad and the comforting touch of my mother. I remember thinking that even in the fear that I was experiencing right now, I was in the safest place that I could possibly be, right here at the bottom of the staircase. You see, here's the thing. Here's what this story is trying to illustrate. That there will be storms in life. There are going to be the challenges and the things that we face that we wonder if it will ever pass. Things that seem so overwhelming that they look and feel like they're going to crush us. For some of us, that might be the experience of grief, of sadness, at the loss of someone we love, whether it was through their passing away or them walking out of our lives. It could be anxiety, the, the depth of worry and stress that, that gets exerted on our bodies because we feel like we're losing control and that we don't know what all the possible outcomes will be. Maybe it's loneliness, which happens to be a current epidemic of my generation. There is no generation that has felt more lonely than millennials and Gen Z. Even though we are more connected than we have ever been, we have never been more lonely than we've ever been in all of history. Maybe it's a sense of Betrayal, someone you thought you knew, someone you thought you loved, did the unthinkable. And you're reeling with, how do I forgive? How do I move forward? What are my next steps? 
Or maybe it's just an overall sense of hopelessness because in the course of life, things have just brought you down and down and down and you're wondering, where does my hope come from? Is everything lost? These are just to name a few of the storms of life that come and confront us, of the things that are challenges that we face as everyday humans. And to be quite frank, that list could go on and on and on and on and on. Because the human experience is as wide as it is broad and as it is deep. And in that breadth and in that depth, I am reminded of the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1.9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And I say that not to cause dismay or to diminish any of the things that we're going through or any of the things that we've experienced, but as an indicator of what is to come as we unpack our passage today. My hope is that our passage gives us hope. Hope beyond hope. That as we go through our series and we look at these narratives of Jesus and his life, that we do not have to be dismayed. But in fact, we find our deepest needs met. And so as we open our passage today, our first verse, verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. You know, this is actually the very first moment in Hebrews that the name of Jesus is mentioned. In fact, throughout the entire passage of Hebrews so far, it's alluding up to this moment where finally a name is given to the one that the author has been speaking about. It is Jesus, the Son of God. We have a name to everything we've been wondering. Who is this person? Well, it is Jesus and the author now tells us that this Jesus is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Well, what does it mean that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, first, what does it mean to be a priest? Deuteronomy 3.33.10 tells us that priests shall, shall teach Jacob and your rules, or shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. What that passage is telling us is that the role of the priest is to be the one who brings us and gives us the word of God. Which if we know anything about scripture, we know that Jesus himself is the word of God. So he is a priest in the sense that he brings us God's living word. But also we learn in that passage from Deuteronomy that a priest is also one that is a mediator, the one that shall bring incense before you, which incense oftentimes as scripture is a metaphor for the prayers of the people. But it also says, shall be the one that brings the whole burnt offering to your altar. 
is the one that brings sacrifice, that brings the mediation of the people to God, one who represents the people in all manner before him. And so we learn that Jesus as priest stands on our behalf before the Father. But what does it mean to say that he is a high priest? Because he's not merely just a priest, but it says that he's also a high priest. Well, to be a high priest means that he assumes all the Levitical roles of a high priest from Leviticus chapter 16. Not only is he a governor of the people, but primarily the role of the high priest, his responsibility was to be the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple of God. That is the place where God's manifest presence resides on earth, where God himself would come and sit on the mercy seat upon the ark of the covenant. There is only one priest that was allowed in that sanctum, and it was the high priest. And so Jesus was the one who was allowed to enter into that place. But more so, There was only one day of the year that that priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And that was the day of atonement. That he would make a sacrifice for the sins of himself and the sins of the people. It was the one day in the year that all the sins were forgiven for the people. A temporary reprieve from their sinfulness as the sacrifice was made. And so what we learn also is that Jesus is high priest. He was one who was allowed to make an offering that covered the sins of many. But to say that Jesus is the great high priest is to say that his office is higher and greater than any other priest or high priest before him or to come after him. Jesus is the great high priest primarily because when he made a sin offering on behalf of the people, it was permanent, it was irrevocable, and it was widespread. It was a sacrifice made not just for the people of Jerusalem, not just for the people of Israel, but it was for all people of all time who would ever call upon his name. This Jesus is the great high priest that made an offering like no other because no other priest was able to make it. It was the offering of self, of self-sacrifice as only Jesus could have made. What is more, he is also the only priest, as the scripture tells us, that passed through the heavens. That is, he's the only priest that ascended to the right hand of God the Father. As Matthew 26, 64 says, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. There is no other priest that has been given the great honor of sitting next to God the Father. None but Jesus. So as our great high priest, 
Jesus is continually mediating on our behalf, standing in the gap between us and God, continually making his known word to us and the Father's will. And he has made the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just temporarily, but for all time. That's what the author is trying to get at in that very first verse. It's packed with so much theology that we could spend days just talking about it. But there is more in knowing that also, in addition to knowing who he is as great high priest, he then says that we must hold fast our confession. It's not just enough to know who Jesus is because we can know, but then we can falter. We can know and then we can falter. I know myself have been prone so many times to forget that I have a Jesus who did it all who did it for me, who did it because of me, who wanted me so much that he stepped down from his throne that he would sacrifice himself. It's so easy to forget in, in a time not only because of our own humanness, but to forget that in a time where the world is telling us everything that Jesus is not, trying to continually remind us that he is no priest, that he was incapable of, 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 of saving anybody through his sacrifice. It's a world that denies his presence. But we as Christians must hold true to our confession, knowing that he is who he said he is, that he is Jesus, the great high priest. And in knowing this, that Jesus is our great high priest, this alone should convince us that regardless of life circumstances, we can go to him. That should be enough. That one verse alone should be more than enough for me to find the fullness of satisfaction in knowing who Jesus is. And that should have been it. But... He did so much more. He did more than just become the sacrifice for my sins. He did more than paying the price that I could not pay by going to the cross to die a death that I did not want. Instead, he went a step farther. And Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, the very first time I ever heard this verse, I, I have to admit I was a little offended. I was slightly wondering how in the world could I think of a weak Jesus as a Jesus who experienced temptation as one that... Excuse me for my profanity, but a Jesus that was human. I wondered, but the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized what this passage meant, how incredibly powerful that verse is to read that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
put Jesus in the most human light that I have ever seen. And that is not to deny his divinity as the fullness of God within himself, but it is also to make mention that he was also fully human. And in his humanity, I realize that I am weak because I am human. And Jesus became weak because he chose to become human. Philippians 2, 5, 8 reminds us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, it is not simply that Jesus took on the great office of being the great high priest, the one who could make the only sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the world, but he was more than that in that he also took, went a step further to become not only a great high priest to which we could look to for what he did, but a great high priest with whom we could relate in weakness. Jesus knew what it meant to struggle as we struggled. Jesus knew what it meant to be weak as we are weak. In fact, I'm reminded of the prophecy that Isaiah made about Jesus in chapter 53, verse 3. This is about him. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed not. If you've ever thought that your loneliness, your grief, your rejection was a unique experience to you, know that you need to look no further than Christ himself to see that you are not alone. Unless you believe that you couldn't, that he couldn't possibly understand your situation, the author makes it abundantly clear in verse 15 as he continues, but he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want us to handle the interpretation of this passage carefully. I don't want us to read this and think that Jesus went through our exact struggles. I think he cares too much to know that part of being human and part of the human experience is to know that we are individuals uniquely made in the image of God. And therefore, each and every one of us cannot comprehend or understand the full extent of one another about what about what another one of us experiences in their own weaknesses and temptations. Jesus isn't different in that regard, but what this passage is saying, what it does mean is that in every respect, in every, every possible manner in which we could experience something, Jesus has also experienced it. He can certainly sympathize. That is 
one who has gone through the experience himself with all of us because he in some way or another has been tempted in a similar manner. Clearly, Jesus can never know what the experience is for a pregnant woman. He can never know the experience of a woman that lost her child. He can't know the full temptations of what it was like to be a married man. But in every respect, he was tempted as we are. He knows our struggles because he struggled himself. And so, this temptation that Jesus experienced, we have to read that word and understand that the temptation was in the midst of life's circumstances and the storms of life. The temptation, as all temptation is, is to turn away from God and turn to ourselves. Jesus knew in every way that we have the temptation to turn away from him and turn to something else, to create idols within our own lives and our own hearts. This is what sin ultimately is. And so as we look throughout this series, we're going to be looking at these narratives of Jesus in his life where he experienced these same struggles as us and how he responded to them. How when we look to him, he becomes our example and our hope. We're going to see how Jesus, tempted in his humanness, did not turn away from God. But here is the good news for us, that though he was tempted in every way, he did not sin. It's good news because it made his sacrifice as the great high priest possible completely and fully, because sin never touched him. Therefore, he could atone for all of our sins. He knew fully what it meant to be human and still overcame. This is also good news because verse 16 tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In knowing this truth, this reality of who Jesus is and how he relates to us, we're not just able to draw near, that is to come close, to be intimate with God, but we are commanded to draw near and we are told to do so confidently. You see, confidence is something that we often fail to do in a matter with God. At least I know it is for me. There are many times where I waver and confidently approach in God because I can't possibly think that he has any idea what my struggle is. I can't confidently approach him because I might be living in fear that he's angry at me, that he's disappointed in me, that he's frustrated with, with my constant sinfulness. But we are told to come confidently to his throne, because it's then that we remember that Jesus is who he said he is, and all that he has accomplished, and all that he experienced. And then I realize I can relate, or he can relate to me. And so it's in confidence, con 
fide, with faith that I can draw near. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I want to approach with confidence, confide, with faith, without doubting that he knows who I am, without me ever having to tell him. He knows what I'm going through because he has experienced it himself. And so it is with confidence that I draw near to the throne of grace. That throne of grace, of grace, not of wrath, not of disappointment, not of anger, not out of frustration, but of grace. The place where we receive mercy, that is what we do not deserve. Or we do not receive what we do deserve. And where we find grace, where we receive what we do not deserve. And it is in that grace, that finding of grace, that we find the strength to move forward and to overcome all possibility of sin in our lives. It is this throne of grace that becomes a comfort to our souls. Because God not only wants to, he desires to. And in Jesus, he must help us in our time of need. And so as we work through our series this time around over the next several weeks, we're going to see these struggles We're going to see these life experiences that Jesus had. And so the next time that we come into a place where we feel an overwhelming sense of grief, when life's anxieties seem to be too much, when loneliness makes you feel isolated to the world, when betrayal makes you feel like you could never forgive, or when hopelessness seems so great that there is nothing to hope for. Whatever it may be that is tempting us to turn away from God, let us remember these words. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus didn't just die for us. He gets us. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, Jesus, you are the great high priest. You really are in the midst of everything that we experience in our human experience. You also know what it is that we went through. You relate to us. You relate to us. You wanted to get to relate to us. That made everything you did so much more great. And so Jesus, meet us in this place. Meet us where we are. Let us see you for who you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.